You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. Matt Levine, Lila Bromberg, and Cody Wilcox over the phone today. But now Lila and I are back together in College Park. I know, we're not on Skype anymore. Not Skype. But uh, we'll get to some Maryland men's basketball. We'll start with the bracketology that was released today on ESPN. So we'll start talking about that. Lila, you showed it to me a couple minutes ago. I didn't really get a good look at it yet, though. But what did you see from that? Yeah, so, you know, Joe Lenardi currently has Maryland as a number four seed in the West region, uh, facing 13 seed Stephen F. Austin, who upset Duke this season uh, in the first round in Greensboro. But they're in the West, so then they would, if they made it to Sweet 16, would be going on to Los Angeles. And then you have Auburn as other top seed in that region as a number five seed. Um, I know towards the beginning of the season, we thought that Maryland would be possibly, you know, a two or three seed. Now it seems like Maryland is more of a discussion of a four or five seed. Of course, that could change. It seems like Maryland is kind of on the rise a bit right now. So obviously a lot can change between now and March. But I think the thing that also really stands out to me from that is that he had 12 Big Ten teams included in the bracket. So you have Michigan State as a three seed, three seed, Iowa as a five seed, Illinois as a six seed, Penn State as a sixth seed, Rutgers and Wisconsin as seven seeds, uh, Indiana as an eight seed, Ohio State as an eight seed, Michigan as a nine seed, uh, Purdue as a tenth seed, and Minnesota as an eleventh seed. So, what are you guys' initial thoughts on uh, this lowdown with uh, where we're at right now with bracketology? Of course, you know we still got a while to go. I mean, I think. I- Cody, you go. go Thank you. I think, uh, is 12 teams the most that any conference has ever had? That has to be. Yeah, so I believe the most, there's actually a really interesting article on this from Brian Quinn of Athletic just talking about with the Big Ten how it's kind of unprecedented that there could be this many teams. I think in 2011 with the Big East, before the Big East disbanded, um, I think you may have had like 10. I don't know if that's the exact number, but I mean, last year the Big Ten had eight. And that was a, the highest ever for the conference, and that led all conferences. So, I mean, 12 is not something we've really seen, and I think something that Brian Quinn discussed in that article that I thought was really interesting is how that then affects seeding. It's kind of why, in this bracket, I think you see Maryland in a West region, whereas typically they would be in an East. But because there are so many Big Ten teams that could get in, conference teams can't face each other in the first round. And then if you've played each other more, if you played each other twice, you can't face each other in the second round. So you're now going to be having an issue with the seeding where teams are not necessarily going to be where they typically would in terms of regions because you do accommodate for having so many Big Ten teams. I think this is just one of the most craziest years in college basketball. I, I don't really, there's just so many things that can go. I think this entire tournament, really anyone can win. I don't think there's like one team this year where everyone's picking that team to win. Really, anyone can beat anyone, and I think I think this is one of the most special seasons we've seen. Yeah, for sure. Cody, do you think that Maryland's up as a four seed? Do you think higher, lower, around the mark? At the moment, I think it's the perfect seed for them because we've seen them at their best, and we've obviously seen them at their worst. And I tell you this all the time, Lila, that I think this season's just a roller coaster for the team, and so I think. Like I said, the number four is the perfect seed. As far as the Big Ten teams, I, I can't believe how many good teams there are in the Big Ten. seems like 
every night, you know, we're learning about some somebody new that's stepping up or, you know, a team that is just playing so well. But for Maryland, I know this will this is not set in stone here, but Maryland to face Stephen F. Austin in the first round, I don't know that much about the team, but I can tell you from the Duke game earlier this year that we talked about, they they are not afraid of the spotlight or the big stage. So I don't know. Like I said, I don't know all the stats, they're, everything about the team, but they're not going to be afraid to take on the Terps if for some reason this does occur. Yeah, and then I think Auburn is also a really formidable opponent. Yes. I mean, obviously yes. it could change, but I think Maryland's up as a three or four seed. Um, I think that... They seem, like you said, it's been a roller coaster of a season, and we'll get into the recent games in a little bit, but it seems like they're on a bit of a rise right now, finding their groove a bit more. So I don't think they could fall to a five seed personally. I mean, you never know with this conference, but I would say around a four or three seed. Obviously, that then affects things uh, because, you know, if you're a three seed, you're facing a six seed. If you're a four seed, you're facing a five seed. So, you know, if you're a four seed, you're facing a much Uh, more even level competition but like Matt said this has been a crazy year and I think that really so much could happen in this tournament Um, it's also interesting you have these 12 Big Ten teams but the highest is a three seed in Michigan State right now so that'll be interesting to see I mean last year you had Big Ten teams out of any conference not only had the most teams but the most teams to move on to the second round and then you had Michigan State you know in the final four so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there Looking at this bracket for you guys right now, I know we said it's really hard to say, oh, this one team could win it all, but if there was a team, do you think there is one that has a chance? Or if you were to give a couple teams, I know we gave them at the beginning of the season, but so much has changed since then. I think... Our predictions were way off at the beginning I, I of the think, season. <laughs> before, I, before I even say that, I think the craziest part of all this is more so that right now he has four ACC teams in. and I, I think that's more crazy than 12 Big Ten teams. Four ACC teams, I've never seen that in my life. It's not, the ACC is not as good this year. It just isn't. It's just so weird. It's so weird. And I don't know what it is. Virginia is not that good anymore. North Carolina has not been good, especially with This is going to be the first time in so long they haven't made the tournament. Yeah. But I think think Duke has to be up there if you're talking about teams that can win it. Uh, Kansas, definitely. I think Gonzaga is legit. San Diego State, they're a one seed in this in this bracketology. They're not. I, I think they can lose if they are a one seed. I think another 16 seed could win that game. Um, I don't think they have the type of uh, competitive opponents the way that Duke and Kansas and even Gonzaga doesn't even have a hard schedule at all, but I think they're just so good. Um, I don't think Baylor is a team that can win it, even though they're at the top right now, number one in the country. Um but I think there's just so many teams that, even Iowa, like they they have just such talent that they yesterday they came back from I think they were down 14 or 13 with seven minutes left and they win that game by six. That's just it, like it's just crazy. Um, there's so many talented teams this year. I think Michigan State even could win. They they have this. We said earlier I think on our, our basketball preview that. The, the the key to winning is having a veteran point guard and someone who's returning that was like the second leading scorer or whatever. We don't went over this crazy thing. And if if you think about that, Michigan State has that. They have a veteran point guard and they have other scorers. Maryland has that too. So I really think that 
anyone can I, I don't have a team that I'm picking. Like usually it's Kentucky or Duke, but this year I can't pick anyone. Um, as for me, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Maryland's, you know, West bracket and I'm just going through like how I would fill it out if I were to do it, you know, right at this moment. And, you know, say Maryland makes it past Stephen F. Olsen and they'll, they'll most likely have, let's just say Auburn for this case, no upset. That's going to be a tough matchup. Say they win that one, most likely they'll have Gonzaga, for example. After that, you know, they have Oregon then you have Rutgers, Florida, West Virginia down there. Like it's... It's not going – I know we're, what, like over a month away from, you know, picking brackets and that being official and all that, but it's just – it's giving me anxiety just thinking about it right now. But as for a team I think that could at least make some noise, uh, I have been so impressed with Illinois. And them as a, a sixth seed up in the Midwest – I think that they could make a potential Final Four run with their team. Uh, that would probably be the only one I actually feel confident about at this moment. I feel like they should be more than a six. I feel like they should be higher than I, a six seed, honestly. I think so. I think so as well. But I mean, I—that's probably the only team that, and and possibly I, I'm really looking forward to down in uh, down in the east uh, part of the bracket a second-round matchup of Penn State and Duke, I think that would be very, very interesting. I want a Maryland-Duke matchup. I really do. I mean, because this isn't final, and we're hoping uh, that Maryland gets east because that will make travel for us a lot easier, and that would be awesome if Maryland faced Duke in, like, a east-type situation. It would be. It would be. You know, one team I'm thinking about that you guys haven't mentioned is Seton Hall. Um, Ever since they beat Maryland, they have just looked really really good and I think I don't know if they're a team that could win it all but I think they can go far I think another team I'm looking at is uh I think Oregon I don't know if they'll make a final four but I feel like they can make a sweet 16 possibly an elite eight I think that uh Peyton Pritchard is just a really special player uh who can help them Duke I I don't I don't see Duke even making a final four honestly I see them making an elite eight um, I think Louisville could make some noise this year as well. I mean, it's really just so hard to tell what could happen. But if we're looking at a team that is lower than a four seed that could go really far, I think in my mind that team would have to be um, either Illinois or Iowa, as you guys both mentioned. It's going to be interesting to see how the competition of the Big Ten then carries over into the tournament. I think we saw last year that it really helped teams in the tournament, especially in that first round, is just because you're used to facing such a high-level competition. But there is also a factor of does that then wear teams out too much by the time the tournament comes around, and I think that's something that has been discussed a lot, and it'll be interesting to see how that affects things. But it, I think it's just going to be a really, really good tournament. Um, another thing I'm that makes me curious with this right now is it has Kansas as a number one seed, but with the suspension to Sylvia DeSosa for 12 games, I feel like there's no way they get through that stretch without losing a little bit. Well, I feel like he, I don't know how big of a role that he actually has. I mean, obviously when you lose anyone, but anyone that actually has time on the floor, it hurts your team. I definitely could see them losing one or two games without him, but I don't think that has the the biggest impact because especially a team like that with a, a head coach like that he's teaching his players how to kind of rally around that and win for 
De Silvio basically. And I think I think it's interesting, but um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was taken into account when they that uh, Lenardi put Kansas at the at the number one spot here. So if if you do think that they're gonna lose a couple games, yeah, I could see them dropping, but I don't know who else would be a one seed. That's what's interesting. One thing I just want to touch on real quick is, you know, we're talking all about the, the bracket and things like that and where everybody's seated and stuff, but I'm interested to look at the Big Ten bracket when that comes out because everybody talks about home court advantage. All the coaches say, you know, this is, you know, the deepest league. This is, uh, Turgeon calls it, you know, the best that he's faced since at Maryland and, and all this. So it should be interesting to see how these teams play against one another on what is, you know, considered a neutral site. Yeah, the Big Ten tournament is going to be incredible this year. Exactly, where it's not really, you know, it's not going to be College Park or Assembly Hall or anything like that, where no team really is supposed to have an advantage. So I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out and, and who comes out on top there. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a crazy Big Ten tournament for sure, and the seating is going to be so tight with just a wave of standings are right now I mean there's so many teams that are just within reach that I I don't know what you're going to end up having in terms of seeding for that tournament right now you have Illinois and Michigan State both at seven and two tied for first place and then you have Maryland Iowa and Rutgers all at six and three just one game back Um, and then you know you've got Indiana five and four a couple five and five teams and then you know, you go down, and I'm still shocked about Ohio State and Michigan, um, but I mean, I don't know right now who is going to be at the top of the Big Ten. I really don't. It could be, I think it could be any of those five teams I mentioned. It could well, even I, be Indiana. Uh, make a guess. Make a guess. Make a guess? Take, um, yes. Hmm. I'd have to look more in depth at their schedules, um, but I think, hmm, that's really tough. Um, I like Illinois, but they have so many ranked matchups coming up. You know, they're at Iowa, then they play Maryland, uh, then they play Michigan State, then they're at Rutgers, and they're at Penn State, and then they're versus Iowa. So, like, while Illinois looks good right now, they have not really faced a lot of competition in the Big Ten yet. I mean, they have, but, like, they haven't played, like, a ton of ranked teams, and so um, they have a tough road ahead, I think. Um, Michigan State still has a ton on the road. It's so tough, Cody. I don't even. Come on. I don't even know. So many. I'm taking Iowa. If I did, I'm taking Iowa too. I'm taking Iowa too. You are. Luca Garza is the player of the year. He's unreal. Um, I I just don't think anyone has a formula to stop that. But I also think that Michigan State and Maryland are going to be like either a game. It's going to be separated by one game. That's my guess. Either tied or one game. I think it's good. I think you're going to have a tie for first place, honestly. And I think it's going to be a tie between Iowa and Michigan State. I think Maryland could possibly tie for first. Um, but it's, it's hard to say. They've all got really tough schedules ahead. Um, like, all the teams that are in the top right now face a ton of ranked teams from here on out. So it'll be interesting to see. One thing with Maryland is they've got this stretch now that we're going to get into talking about. Um, they face Iowa. Rutgers and Illinois, they're about to play three ranked teams in a row, but then they have a break versus Nebraska, then they go to Michigan State, and then they have like a game against Northwestern, they have a game at Minnesota, so 
there's some easy wins in there for Maryland, but then again, there's no easy wins in the Big Ten, and so that's why it's hard for me to say, like, oh, this one team is definitely going to win it because it's just so hard to tell this year, and you've still got a lot of basketball left to be played. I mean, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams that are within 2.5 games, that are like 2.5 games back or fewer, which is kind of ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm saying it right now, I will book it. Lock in Iowa. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we'll get into talking about that game at Maryland, but first let's talk a little bit about these two games uh, Maryland just had at Northwestern at Indiana. They finally picked up not one, but two wins on the road. The first one I expected, the second one I did not at all, but let's talk about Northwestern first. That was a rough first half. I did not expect that first half whatsoever. Well, that was probably their worst first half of the year, if I had to say. Down by 14 to the worst team in the conference. They just had absolutely nothing going, and they just they couldn't put the ball in the basket, and every time Northwestern came down the floor, they, they made a three-pointer, it seemed like. They just had all these guys around the arc. They didn't even get inside too many. I think they had one two-point field goal in the whole first half. And know. Maryland wasn't getting in the paint a lot either because yeah. you had Northwestern, you had three players over 6'9", and Maryland was just – I mean, that was a lot of a problem in the early first half is they were just shooting the three and shooting the three, and eventually they began to fall. But, like, the first however many shots, just nothing was going right for Maryland. It was, it was completely different the first half and the second half. It almost seemed like two different games, two different teams that Maryland had where they just came out in the second half, and that probably was one of their best halves, if not the first half against Indiana of the season. But I've never seen energy like that and a different, a different message kind of on the floor, and that was definitely something good to see if you're a Maryland fan and especially head coach Mark Turgeon, I mean – if you lost that, you see it all over Twitter, fire Turgeon, fire Turgeon. But Maryland fans love to overreact, every, and that every, would have gone Everybody insane. would have went crazy if, if Maryland lost to Northwestern. Well, my thing was is the first four possessions, there was zero offensive movement whatsoever from the Terps, and they were just jacking threes. And, you know, obviously Northwestern was able to get out to a, a 10-0 run until, uh, you know, Sorrell Smith Jr. hit. I believe he had two triples in that first half, and him and Ricky Lindo Jr. kind of held down the offensive production for a little bit. But I, I from the beginning, when they're just there was just nothing working for them. They it just didn't seem like the Maryland high energy team that we you know have seen in the past. And it was as soon as that happened, I think it was the I think it was the under sixteen timeout. I think. In our uh, message, we we said like, "What is going on right now?" Like, I we were just so shocked that they just didn't come out with any energy or any movement offensively, and and obviously Northwestern goes up like fourteen five within the first few minutes of the game. Yeah, and then you know, as we mentioned, they come back for the second half and are able to get it together, which was really important because I mean, this was a game that they simply could not lose. And, you know, one thing that stood out, two things that really stood out to me for this game were the play of Jalen Smith and of Aaron Wiggins. Aaron Wiggins had uh, tied his career high for five three-pointers, which was also a season high, and had 17 points. And he didn't have as much of a presence in the game after against Indiana, um, but 
he he looked really good in this Northwestern game, and you can definitely see that his confidence is increasing and that he's getting back to the form that we are used to seeing him in last season, uh, even more so because, you know, he was having, I think that was a career high for him as well and with 17 points. And then Jalen Smith had a career high 725 points and 11 boards. And, you know, he was just named Big Ten Player of the Week. He was phenomenal in both these games. Maryland would not have won either of these games if it weren't for his play. And I think there were some concerns that we had at the, at the beginning of conference play with um, how he was doing in the paint and him not being aggressive enough. But recently, we've really seen Sticks just be aggressive, take his shot, also be able to hit a ton of threes and just dominate all around. And you can definitely see his confidence increasing. And he's just become such a huge factor for his team. He's becoming an All-American, it seems like, to me at least. Not a first team, but maybe a second or third. Um, obviously, two career performances these past two games, and it's something that was needed for this team. They needed a road win, and he get, he he carried them to that. And he, nobody's arguing. He's He's got to be at least right behind Garza uh, when you talk about Big Ten big men at the top I mean he he's up there and he's really I think Lila you mentioned the confidence is what is what is is the biggest thing I see where he he thought he fouled out at the end of the Northwestern game they actually called the foul on Anthony Cowan but uh, Sticks started walking over to the bench and fans were booing him kind of or yelling stuff and he pointed up at the scoreboard and then did like a little a little uh he put his finger over his mouth to say, like, be quiet to the crowd. And I think that that just shows the confidence in itself. And then, obviously, something happened at Indiana where he was going at the fans again. It's it, it That's where it shows he's kind of becoming more of a, a spoken player, where usually we, we just saw him be, be kind of quiet and have quiet. We always said he had, like, quiet double-doubles. Now he's having loud double-doubles. You're noticing him. Yeah, and people, like... We're getting upset about the stuff at Indiana. I didn't really, I wasn't really able to see specifically what was said, and it's kind of hard to know. But I personally like when players are doing that. I want to see more personality. I mean, I obviously don't want anyone like yelling at fans or getting in a fight. But when he like does a thing where he puts his finger over his mouth and you know he's pointing to the sky or he's just like jumping with his teammates, like I love seeing more of that personality. And you know, against Indiana, he had. He had just he had just scored a career high twenty five points and then he breaks it the next game with twenty nine points and again eleven rebounds, um, and he had four threes in that game which was also a career high, and you know over those two games he's averaging twenty seven points and eleven rebounds on seventeen of twenty seven shooting from the field and six of eleven from deep and he's leading the Big Ten conference right now in conference play in three point shooting as a big man, um, and now has eleven double doubles like he just. He looks so good right now. He's really hitting his stride, and I think that's a huge key for this Maryland team to do well this year is for him to be on his level and also, you know, for Ant and Aaron to be in their zones as well. I feel like we haven't had many games this year where, like, everyone is in their zone. I feel like we're switching off where it's, like, a game where Sticks is doing well, but maybe, like, Ant is struggling from the floor or someone else is or, like, you know, I just want to see a game where, like, everyone is on the same page because I don't feel like we've had many games where everyone is is really on their stuff. Well, a couple things to what you said, Ryla. One, um, Jalen, uh, during the Penn State game, I talked to a scout, and I've, I've said this on this podcast before, and he was like, yeah, it just doesn't seem like Jalen is playing, you know, as physical as he needs to be. And 
at that time, it seemed true. But over these past couple games, it seems like not only Jalen has more confidence in his game, but it also seems like he's playing more physical as well, which is something the Terps need at the moment. And then another thing I want to add is you mentioned Anthony Cowan Jr. And I, I don't think he gets enough credit in the fact that in the past two games, he's only turned the ball over once, and that was against Northwestern. And that was in like the final 30 seconds of the game, which in my book doesn't really count on the stat sheet. It's a little different. But anyways, against Northwestern, they only turned it over that one time in the second half, which I thought was a big part of their comeback. And it seems like he's kind of coming off the ball a little bit more. And uh, Eric Ayala is starting to take over the, uh, the point guard duties a little bit more. And he's done a good job. I mean, against Indiana, he had, what was it, six assists. Uh, I think that tied a... It was a season high and almost his career high. Yes, exactly. And I think he's done a great job. And I think that was something we predicted on our preview basketball podcast. Yeah, we did. And to that point, I wasn't saying that like he Cowan hasn't been good. I think he's really improved his passing of the ball and his... Um, just how he handles the ball. But he hasn't had the best percentages from the field over the last couple games. And so... I feel like that's dropped off a little bit, and I want to see that come up. I mean, he still had 18 points. It, it was more so in the Northwestern game. He looked back to form against Indiana, and even when he doesn't have those games, he still gets his points at a line. He still finds a way to score and have an impact for his team. 100%. I mean, against Indiana, he he took the final pass uh, on the press that allowed Sticks to get the ball, and I think that's when it ended up in Aaron Wiggins' hands to... Uh, shoot and make the three to where I think they were down one point from that that uh, at that point in the game. Yeah, and Matt just showed this kind of crazy stat for me. Against Indiana, Maryland's starting perimeter, so Cowan, Ayala, and Daryl Morsell combined for just one turnover in the win at Indiana. And they just had five as this team, and I think that's something that we need to talk about, right? So against Northwestern, they have six turnovers. Against Indiana, they have five. And I, that was one of our keys at the beginning of the season we said one of the keys for this team to be successful is limiting turnovers. And we saw it go up and down towards the beginning of the season. And then before these couple games, you were having those turnover numbers in the, in the teens. Um, and, you know, it varies game by game of how big of an impact they that has and things like that. But this is really big for Maryland to have this few turnovers in two consecutive games. That's something that is crucial for this team to have success. And that's why they won these games, because – when when they when we saw them losing uh, to Seton Hall a game like that, they have so many turnovers. Those are the most turnovers they have of any game. It so that's literally a stat that you look at and say that's that could be why they lost. That makes or break one, two, three, however many possessions it is where the other team can score off the turnover and now Maryland's losing. So it's it's just limiting turnovers in basketball is just the key to winning. And they had 14 assists in that Indiana game, too, to five turnovers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's the same thing in baseball, kind of, with walks and errors, where if you don't make any errors and you walk one or two guys, you'll probably win that game. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's clean basketball where they're giving themselves more opportunity to score and less opportunities for the opponent to score. And it's got to be a huge confidence boost for the team. You know, that's that's obviously something that, 
Turgeon talks to them about, the media talks to them about so much, like turnovers, you know, turnovers, and it kind of, it might get into their head, at least for a while, but if they go on the road and they limit their uh, turnovers against Northwestern in Indiana, and they're about to come home for, I think it's a two-game homestand against Iowa and then Rutgers, I think they have to be, you know, pretty confident going into these games, especially with I don't want to call it again, like a revenge game against Iowa, but maybe a second shot at Iowa on their home floor. I think I really do think their confidence has to be through the roof at this moment. Yeah, I mean now they have uh, three of their next four at home, which is really really big. And that one away game during that stretch is at Illinois, which will certainly be a tough game. But this is big. This is you know Maryland is undefeated right now at home, and they certainly are going to be fired up for that Iowa game, which we'll get into shortly. And I think that's going to be really, really big for this team to get those. I, they can get to a spot where they're at the top of the Big Ten standings if they can win, you know, those three road games, and even if they can try and get that one on the road. And it is against ranked teams, so it will be tough, but they got to take advantage of now having the home court. They've gotten through this tough stretch of being on the road, and like you said, Cody, I mean, they've got to have some confidence in them now. I mean, just the way they came out against Indiana – you know, they were on fire against India, then they weren't as good in the second half and they had to come back, but they were on fire to start that game. And, and I just want to add one thing real quick is Maryland has not lost a game at home yet. Yeah, they, they have not. At home. So I think they really need to use that to their advantage the next three out of four games. And hopefully, you know, in those games, they'll come 3-0. and And I think if they do that, their confidence is only going to get bigger. I mean, it's a, it's a tough league as we said and whether it's home or away you're going to get the best shot from everybody especially since Maryland has that number 15 number by their name now yeah exactly and yeah I mean we can just get into talking about that Iowa game right now that's coming up you know that was their worst loss of the season they lost 67 to 49 on the road it was really just an uncharacteristic game for them the only person who scored in j- double digits was Jalen Smith with 13. Um, they really struggled to stop Luca Garza and uh, and Wise and uh, Joe Weiskamp. Um, and it was just a really ugly showing. And the team has said that it really was an uncharacteristic game for them. And now they're really hyping up this red out game uh, that's supposed to have some sort of like Jurassic Park, College Park theme. I don't know what that entails. I'm hoping for some sort of a blowout dinosaur or someone in a dinosaur costume. I know we'd like a Spider-Man with a red out last year, so. Maybe Testudo will be a dinosaur instead of a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's a good guess. That's actually a very good guess. Yeah, I feel like that could happen. But I'm excited to see what happens with that. Just what are our takeaways from that game last time around? And how nervous does that make us for Maryland in this game? Like how big of a difference does being at home make? Oh, I mean, complete difference. At, and Turgeon talked about it the entire winter break that the students weren't at these games, but they were still winning. I mean, I, I, I came back for the, the Bryant game and there wasn't that there wasn't too many people there. But the Indiana game at home, the Ohio State game, that, that place, Xfinity Center was packed and that's without students. So it just shows the, the kind of crowd that Maryland attracts to their games. And you talk about playing on the road in Iowa. That's that's probably I can argue that that's the hardest place to play in the Big Ten is in Iowa. Van so. Assembly Hall, and they just yeah. picked up the win at Assembly Hall, which, by the way, even Michigan State could not do the game before. There's so many things that I I don't know, but 
I think playing in Iowa is one of the hardest things, and that was just a complete like it was a horrible game for them. That that had to be their worst their worst overall game. Not not just like halves, but their entire game that had to be the worst game they played all year. And I think it's completely different now with the students back in College Park. Everyone's going to be at this game. I think this might be the first packed house, like completely packed house um, of this of the season. So this is where this is where it gets interesting. If they can beat Iowa, number fifteen versus number eighteen. I think I think if they can beat Iowa at home and stop Garza, then this team might. You said, Cody, the confidence, it's going to go up, and I think that they can run through the Big Ten after that. But this is the hump that they have to get over because then they have Rutgers, who I think they could beat, and then Nebraska at home. That's If they don't win that game, I mean, I, I, I just I would put all my money if I could bet on it that they would win that game. So I think that this Iowa game is probably the most important game of the season so far. Yeah, and I wasn't able to cover the first uh round one between Iowa and Maryland, but I remember just seeing the score and just being, you know, just baffled. I, I, there's no other way to put it. I was just like, wow, it, it had to go bad. And then after I learned a little bit more about it, you know, it, it's when you're a player, I, I assume that in the back of their heads, you know, every member on the team is going to be thinking about that game and, you know, the feeling that they left Iowa with, which was probably not a positive one, you know? And I think that may give them a little bit more motivation, uh, a little bit more juice going into this game, along with the crowd factor. So I would not be uh, surprised if Maryland just came out firing on all cylinders and actually got off to a fast start on Thursday. Yeah. I mean, you just look at this game, and I think Iowa was before, I think there's a kind of a turning point after Iowa, and Turgeon has talked about that, where he thought they played well against Wisconsin, even though they weren't able to pick up the win, and then he's liked how they've played since then, and I think that Iowa was a game where they really struggled shooting the ball. They shot 32.7% from the field and 18.2% from deep. And you've seen their numbers in those areas increase. They also only shot 55% from the three-throw line in that game, which had a big impact. Um, and you then have 17 turnovers as well, which results in 13 points for Iowa. So there are just a lot of aspects of Maryland games that were off. I mean, Cowan's game was off. He was 2 for 10 from the field. And then, you know, Donta Scott was 2 for 7. Aaron Wiggins didn't score. Um, Eric Ayala only scored two points from three throws. Like, it was just really an off game for this entire team. It just seemed like they're just out of it, out of their rhythm. And I think that playing at Iowa City did have a big impact on that. So I do think that they can win this game, but it, it is going to be a battle um, for sure. Though they, I would like them to see them come out and have a start that they were able to have against Indiana. But more importantly, I want to see as close to 40 minutes of complete plays we can get because I feel like we've just had like a tale of two halves throughout this entire season except for a few games and I just want to see more of a complete showing because that's going to be really crucial down the line. I also just realized looking while we're looking at the schedule they had 77 points in both of their last two games which I did not realize which is kind of funny. Mayville of 77 again. That would be very eerie um, but I think it, the, the key to beating Iowa is obviously stopping 
Luca Garza, and it's so hard to do. So I'm I'm very interested to see with what kind of defense Maryland's going to start with. Um, whatever it was against them the first time, it didn't work. Um, Garza had 21 points and 13 rebounds. So I, it, it, he really didn't shoot the ball well. He shot eight of 21, but he made his free throws, and he he's just such a dominant force that he can really be given the ball at any point and just. He can he can create a shot and score. So I think I don't know how they're gonna do it, but Jalen Smith has to have a huge game defensively and maybe even put a little double team sometimes when he's in the post. But I think it is it'll be that'll be the most interesting part of the game for me is how they stop Garza. And Joe Weiskamp, I mean he had twenty six points and eleven rebounds and he was five of nine from three point range. He made every shot. I don't he think that'll so happen good. again. But uh, yeah, he has to get stopped too. And I think that will be an Aaron Wiggins at the top of a zone. I can see kind of going around the perimeter or Ayala too. He's been, and Morcel, they've all been good defensively recently. So I expect probably a a zone that you can, you can have kind of Dante Scott and Jalen Smith download a double team Garza in the post. And then a longer guy like Aaron Wiggins with a long wingspan can get out on the perimeter and try to steal away a pass and, kind of stop Wee's camp. Um, but those two guys, nobody else scored in double figures that game. The The next most points was seven of anyone on Iowa. So it's really just those two guys that are going to carry Iowa. And they now have, I think they were missing uh, Frederick, who's their third leading scorer at the time in the last time they played Maryland. If he does play on Thursday, that's another guy that adds to it. But just based on last game, Garza and, and Wieskamp are the two guys that need to be stopped. And maybe not even stopped, but contained a little bit more because they single-handedly beat Maryland. And I think you touched on the, the perfect matchup, man, in, in Jalen Smith and Garza. Because, you know, Jalen, as we've talked about the past uh, few minutes about him having this extra confidence. And at the end of the Indiana game, you know, he was going over and saying something to the crowd and it looked like he said, you know, this is my court or whatever and pointed to Indiana's logo or well, now Garza is actually coming to his court in College Park. So I want to see how he responds to Garza and the numbers that they put up against one another and what kind of defense Smith plays and how physical he is against Garza because I... These are, as you said, these are two candidates for, like, the player of the year. So let's see how they do against one another in a top 25 matchup. And I think that Maryland is going to really have some desire in this game to prove that last game against Iowa was a fluke and to prove themselves. And I think Jalen Smith, especially, even though he was Maryland's best player in that game with 13 points and 5 for 7 from the field, he only had 5 rebounds, um, and I think he's going to want to prove that like he can be more dominant and more so like on defense that he can contain uh, these guys and really have a big impact. And I think it's really going to be a battle in this game. And it's definitely going to be an amazing environment at Xfinity Center. One other thing that I want to address it, you know, has been coming up recently is we have not been seeing as much play from Troll Mariel. I think that I certainly was expecting at this point in the season that he would be playing much more minutes. Turgeon said to us that, he was dealing with some minor injuries and just, you know, his he hasn't played in two and a half years. His body is still getting back into it. So there's going to be some strains and issues sometimes. But 
I think that's going to really open up things for this Maryland team if he can play more. And I think I would love to see him play against Iowa. I don't think. But he's not going to yeah, be playing. Sig- he, I, we thought we, he'd be playing more if, significant if minutes put, by now, but it's not going to be. Yeah. I mean, if you. I'm just put, saying a few minutes. If, if you put him out on the court with Garza, he's just going to get beat every single time. That's like putting you out there. So he's just not. Well, he's seven two, and I'm okay. I'm five two. So I think that is a big difference. Yeah, I mean, he can still. I think it was the Purdue game where <laughs> he was just getting beat down low, and he he's just like it's just it's not his. He's not a hundred percent. I'm not blaming that. Like obviously, he's not a hundred percent. You can tell. So I think they kind of rushed him back, especially when the Mitchell twins left. They kind of thought like, oh, one hundred percent. You know, get Chol back. Otherwise, we don't really have anyone else. But. Dante Scott has erupted since then. So I think it'll be very interesting to see if Chol plays in this game. But if he does, I would assume it'd be when Garza takes a seat because he's not, he's not going to be able to guard him. I was just hoping he'd be playing in more games at this point. I mean, not even necessarily this Iowa game, but I mean, he just hasn't been really playing many minutes and I think he could really be a big factor for his team. But if he's not ready, he's not ready. And you've got to, you know, listen to your body. Yeah. And I think the adjustment to, college athletics especially when you're healthy and how much you practice and how much you have to take care of your body and lift and just the everyday grind is tough on anybody let alone when you haven't played basketball for two years you know so I can understand you know it's it it's tough for him at the moment you know getting back anything and facing a few uh injuries here and there but I I thought as well like we'd see him more and he'd be you know, a threat off the bench, and maybe that comes later on in the season. But I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't expect to see him against Iowa. Yeah, it's got to be a game where Jalen Smith can do another thirty-five to forty-minute performance. Um, I think he's definitely practicing this week for that kind of game, especially. I think Cowan too. Both of them. I, I think is this the Indiana stats you have up, Lila? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think. Jalen Smith and Cowan are gonna have another thirty-five plus minute game for both of them. They both did that against Indiana. I could see that happening again against Iowa. I have a feeling Aaron Wiggins is gonna go off on, in this game too. I I think the X factor in this game is Daryl Morsell. I think he's starting to. Yeah, he looked a lot better um, against Indiana. Yes, exactly, and I think he's starting to get back into it. And I really do think he'll be the X factor. But one thing I'm curious about is we say Jalen Smith and. And Anthony Cowan, you know, they have to play all these minutes. But I wonder what kind of impact that will have at the end of the season. Because the, if they have to do this almost on a night-in, night-out basis, they got to be pretty worn out by the end of the season. And I wonder if that impacts Maryland in any uh, negative way. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to keep seeing some more bench production like we were able to see against Northwestern and have that continuing. I think that Ricky Lindo, Jr. and Sherelle Smith, Junior are both getting some confidence. You might see them play more minutes, but you're right. I mean, that definitely can play a factor towards the end of the season. Like I said, I want to see a game where we're really seeing more of a complete performance from everyone as a group. Um, and I think you got pretty close to that against Indiana. If you just look, I think, you know, you didn't have that from Dante Scott. He was one for five from the floor with only three rebounds and three points. Um, but then you look, you know, you have Jalen Smith with 29, Cowan with 18, Marcel with 10, Aaron Wiggins uh, with 8, and Daryl and Aaron only each took 7 shots in that game, so it's not like they were taking a bunch and missing, they just weren't, you know, taking as many shots, and Daryl also had 6 rebounds, and 
Eric Ayala was two for five from the floor, five points, again, just not taking a lot of shots, and he definitely could have done better, but he had six assists and two rebounds. Um, so I think that was like a game where you're starting to see more of people on the same page, and I, I just really, that's what I want to see against Iowa. I really just want to see everyone playing at their best and playing together because we haven't seen that this year and that's going to be the x factor for Maryland is if they can keep these turnovers down keep the turnovers down like they have been and then you know have their guys all on the same page yeah I mean it, it's all going to start with defense and turnovers in this game they if, if they don't turn the ball over they're setting up themselves for success and if they defend well they they're they're good offensively they 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 can make shots, especially at home, where they have the crowd behind them. I think this is going to be a complete different game, but it, it, it's going to have to be a defensive match for everybody. I mean, this is a team effort to stop Garza. It seems like nobody in the country can stop him right now. Um, he looks like maybe the national player of the year, but he he they really need to stop him. And as I said before, I'm interested to see what kind of formula that is. Yeah, it, it's going to be a battle. Yeah, and Iowa has now won five games in a row, which started with Maryland. They had a weird loss to at Nebraska, but now they, since then, they've won five games. They recently beat Wisconsin sixty-eight to sixty-two. They n- knocked off number twenty-five Rutgers eighty-five to eighty. They beat Michigan ninety to eighty-three. Beat Northwestern seventy-five to sixty-two. So I mean, they they've been looking really, really good. Um, and, and it's going to be a battle. Everything in a storyline of sports says that Maryland wins this game. Iowa coming in hot, five games in a row. They've won. Their confidence is crazy now that they came back against Wisconsin and they they destroyed Maryland last game. So they're coming in. They, they're probably thinking, oh, we're going to win this game. You know, that's probably up there in their minds. But the storylines of sports say that Maryland wins this game. And that's just how college basketball has been. But we'll have coverage on that game and – all of Maryland basketball, women's basketball as well, coming up on our site. So stay tuned for all of that. And it should be a good one. We thank you for joining us on this edition of the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. All right, awesome.